Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would like you to take that Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking this morning at verses 26 and 27. And as I like to say from time to time, I know you may be here this morning um, and you don't have a Bible with you. There are Bibles in the chairs in front of you also. Um, if you don't know how to follow along in the Bible, we want you to know that's okay. It really is. And uh, you'll just be, it'll be easy for you to follow along as I read this morning. You can just listen. But we're looking at Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27. But those two verses are embedded in a paragraph in the Bible. And so I want to read that whole paragraph. And so I want to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, even though we'll be focusing just on the two verses. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, writing to the believers there, says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Well, our first point this morning is a look back. We have spent the entire year of 2017 exploring the question, what is a disciple? What does it mean to call Jesus master? What does it mean to call him Lord? We say we are disciples, but what does that mean? One of the foundational passages that we looked at way back in January of this year was Mark chapter 8 and verses 34 and 35, where it says of Jesus, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. At the very heart, or I should say foundation of everything else we looked at, a disciple is anyone who would come after Jesus, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. You, if you are a disciple, you are a follower of Jesus. You belong to him. He is the master and the Lord of your life. We also saw that being a disciple means to be yoked together with Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And we saw that to be a disciple means to be yoked together with Jesus. Jesus uses an ancient illustration of two oxen in a field who are yoked together. And most often when they yoked oxen together, they would put a strong one with a weak one so that the weak one could learn from the strong one. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We are yoked together with Jesus as his disciples. We are weak, but he is strong. We are confused, but he is our wisdom. We often have lots of questions, but he is the truth. We often are anxious and fearful, but he, Jesus, is our peace. He is our serenity. And then in this series... We took quite a bit of time looking at the mission of a disciple. What is a disciple supposed to do in this world? And the overall mission of a disciple of Jesus Christ is to proclaim him and display him to our local community and to the entire world. We are to proclaim the gospel. We are to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ, the saving grace that is offered to people through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the all-sufficient salvation that he has provided. And we are to display him in everything we do, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in every aspect of our lives. We are to display to the world what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And if you recall, if for those of you who have been here this year, you may recall that we summarize this in a threefold mission of a disciple. Because every disciple, every true disciple of Jesus should belong to a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. A church that respects and honors the authority of the Word of God and teaches us to place ourselves under that authority. And so that threefold mission is we are to proclaim the gospel, preserve the gospel, and display the gospel. We are to proclaim the gospel individually, as a church. We are to support the advancement of the gospel to all the people groups of the world. That is our mission. We are also to preserve the gospel. It is our responsibility as disciples and as a church made up of the disciples of Jesus we are to protect the gospel from false teaching. We are to protect the gospel from those who want to manipulate it or water it down or somehow misuse it. We are the preservers and protectors of the true gospel message. And then, of course, we are to display it. We are to display it individually, and we are to display it as the body of Christ. There is to be unity among us. We may not all think the same way. We may not all have the same views, but we are to be unified in the gospel. We are. We are to be one people speaking together about the power of the gospel. But undergirding that mission, God wants us to have the same heart that Jesus has. Your life should be consumed by the love of Christ for the peoples 
of the world. There should be a longing and burden with all, within all of our souls for people who don't know Christ, who desperately need a Savior, not just in St. John's in Clinton County or in the state of Michigan, but for all the people groups all around the world. We are to have a burden for them. We are to long to see them to come to know our Savior so that they can proclaim the gospel, protect the gospel, and display the gospel just like we do. We want to take this glorious message and transport it to the farthest reaches of the world. If you remember, we spent quite a few weeks looking at Matthew chapter 9 and verses 35 through 38 where it says when Jesus saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them. He saw them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't just see skin colors. He didn't see Muslims and Buddhists and all the other kinds of peoples that are out there, atheists, agnostics, spiritists. No, he saw people. He saw people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them from the depths of his soul. He longed for them to know him, and that is the heart of a disciple. We should have great compassion for all the peoples all around the world. Well, we looked at many other things in this series. We took quite a bit of time looking at what it means to abide in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ each and every day? We looked at the emotions of a disciple, that this is not some lifeless or joyless journey that we are on. We are to be engaged with all of our emotions in our worship, in our devotion to Christ. We looked at what it means for a disciple to place himself or herself under the authority of the Bible, having the Bible as their sole authority for faith and practice to submit to the teachings that God has revealed to us. We looked at a number of different things. However, there is one thing that I want to come back to as we close out this series. I want to get back to the heart and soul of what it means to be a disciple, to those seven words that we have looked at throughout this series, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so our second point is the heart of the series. In verses 26 and 27, we read, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now, but now revealed to his saints, to them, to his saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Oh, the riches of the glory of this mystery. And here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Colossae that there is a mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. But then he says in verse 26, but now revealed to his saints. 
Now, the word mystery here is not used in the traditional English way that we think of it. It doesn't mean that it's something confusing or something that's difficult and hard to understand. No, the mystery here refers to something that God, in his wisdom and sovereignty, chose to disclose until a certain time came. This is something that was not revealed but is now revealed, that was hidden but is now disclosed. So I want us to think very carefully about verse 26. The mystery, hidden, hidden by God himself for ages and generations, but now, but now, at this time in history, revealed to his saints. There was something. There was this great truth that had been hidden, but then the Messiah came. Jesus came. And to his church, to his people, he reveals this great mystery. So this is a mystery that God had been waiting to reveal throughout the history of redemption, throughout the history of salvation, up until this point. And the mystery that is being revealed here is this, seven words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Folks, I so desperately want us to grasp this individually and as a church. Here is the implication of this great unveiling. God is not only going to be with us, he is going to live in us. This is what those believers heard. God is not only going to be with you, that is true, but he's actually going to live in you. In verse 27, it says to them, to the saints, God chose, of his own wisdom and sovereignty, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Oh my, this is something great. This is something spectacular. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Earlier in this series, we looked in, in some depth at Colossians chapter 1 and verses 15 through 20. That great section of scripture that I encouraged you to consider memorizing this year. That speaks of the deity of Christ and the preeminence of the person and work of Christ. In those verses, we learn that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is God himself. He is the author of all creation. Jesus created the heavens and the earth, everything that is visible and invisible. He is the head of the church and the savior of the world. We learn all of that in those verses. And I challenged all of us to think carefully about this. The image of the invisible God, the author of all creation, the head of the church, and the Savior of the world dwells in you. He dwells in you. He lives in you. Right where you're sitting, right now, on this day, in this auditorium, this Christ, if you know him, if you know him as Lord and Savior, he is dwelling inside of you. Oh, how I want us to grasp that. 
If you remember, I shared with you a couple of times what I consider to be a powerful quote from David Platt on these seven words. And this is what he says. Let me read it for you again. He says seven simple, powerful, life-changing words that I am convinced if we can get our arms and our hearts and our minds around these seven words, it would utterly revolutionize our Christianity. It would utterly revolutionize our lives. I've held on to this quote. This is one of those quotes that's going with me. Because when somebody says, these seven words could revolutionize your Christian life, I want to I wanna know more about that. I don't know about you, but I want to be revolutionized. I want to go higher than where I've been. I want to go deeper than where I've been. I want to know what it means that Jesus Christ the image of the invisible God, the author of all creation, the head of the church and the savior of the world lives in me. I want to know what that means. Now, let me just build on that for a moment. I want you to once again ponder this truth with me. Jesus did not just die to forgive you of your sins. He died so that he might live in you. Oh, yes, he died to forgive us of our sins, absolutely. But he also died so that he might live in you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and he rose from the grave so that he could live his life through you. I just want you to think about that. He died. He rose again so that he might live his resurrection life through you. A number of months ago, I posed a question to us, and I want us to think about it again. What if, what if Jesus had forgiven us of our sins and then left us on our own? What if Jesus had, had said, okay, you're forgiven of your sins, now you're on your own, good luck. And yet, I sometimes think that's how we live our Christian life. Oh, so thankful for our salvation, and we should be. Thankful for that day that I came to know Christ as Savior, but oh now, oh, it's a hard life. It's a struggle. I don't really get it sometimes. That's not how it's meant to be. Oh yes, there will be suffering, but there will be joy in the suffering. Oh yes, there will be trials and hard times, but there will be great growth and life in the midst of those hard times and those trials. Oh, I want us all to know this morning, based on everything we've learned all year, Jesus not only, excuse me, Jesus died not only to forgive you, but also to totally transform your life. He didn't say good luck. He said, I'm living in you. I will be with you every minute of every day, every step of the way. Not only did he die to forgive us, but he died to totally, to totally transform your life. There are all kinds of things that we are supposed to do, that we are commanded to do as Christians. We are to be lights and witnesses for Christ. We are to be engaged, active members 
of a Bible teaching church. We are to be good husbands and good wives. We are to be good mothers and fathers. We are to be good employees. We are to be good citizens of the nation that we live in. There are many things that we are supposed to do and commanded to do. But it is a profound, it is a profound life-changing time in our Christian life when we come to understand we can't live the Christian life on our own. We can't do it. It is only Christ in you that empowers you and enables you to live a life that pleases God. Oh, how I pray that every single one of us here understands that we can't live the Christian life on our own, in the flesh, in our own strength, by our own ingenuity, by our own thinking. We cannot live a victorious Christian life. We can't do it. It is only Christ in you that empowers you and enables you to live a life that pleases God. So my challenge for all of us as we come to the end of this series is that Christ's life will overflow from each of us. So you are no longer consumed with trying your hardest to make the Christian life a reality, but rather letting Jesus do that through you. Now please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying you don't try. You don't give effort. Absolutely, absolutely you do, but you do it in the powerful enablement of Christ who lives in you. I want you to know Jesus does not desire to improve you. He desires to transform you. Okay? He doesn't want you to be a better you. He wants to transform you in his own image. He doesn't want to just take who you've been and kind of make it better, the new improved you. No, he wants to totally transform you from the inside out by Christ who lives within you. So I want to set you free this year, this coming year. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say, but there's all kinds of self-help books out there. There's even Christian self-help books out there. Do these five things. Think about these ten things. And again, I'm not saying they aren't of any help. I'm not saying that. But you don't have to read ten books this year about how to be a better you. One of the greatest schemes of the devil is to keep you from understanding the power that lies within you. I believe that. Satan wants to keep you from understanding the power that lies within you. He wants you to keep gritting your teeth and trying harder. Well, I must not be praying long enough. I must not be reading enough verses. I must not be involved in enough or as, as many ministries as I should. I must not be doing this or this or this. And sometimes we feel ourselves under the great load of the Christian life. And it wasn't meant to be that way. It isn't meant to be that way. Christianity is not simply a new ethical way of life. It's not like being a Mormon. Well, let's try to have a good marriage. Let's have, try to have nice kids. Let's not drink or smoke or do anything some of those other people do. Let's just try to be good people. Folks, hopefully we are good people 
as an overflow of who we are in Christ, but that's not the goal is simply to try to show people we have a nice family, nice kids, and are doing nice things. No. Let me end this way. Christianity is the outliving of the in-living Christ. Christianity is the outliving of the indwelling Christ. It is the outliving of the indwelling Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not me trying as hard as I can. It's me yielding to Christ. Being in, so in love with him, just as John prayed during his prayer this morning. I thought there was such a wonderful prayer for this message. That we would be so in love with Christ. That we would so treasure him. That his resurrection life would just flow through us. What a time. 2017 ends tonight. We are on the doorstep of a brand new year. New opportunities. New challenges. But an opportunity to make things right, to do things with Christ living, or to understand what it means for Christ to live his life through me. Some of you here this morning, right now, you may be burdened. You may, excuse me, may be going through difficult times. You may feel like you're defeated this morning. This is a new year. This is a new opportunity. I hope that every person here embraces the fact that this is a new year. Let us relearn and move forward the great truths of Scripture. Let me say it again. It is only Christ in you that empowers you and enables you to live a life that pleases God. That's the only way it can happen is by you yielding to him. And again, I don't want you to think I'm just saying, let go and let God. That's not what I'm saying. There's effort. There's striving. Verse 29, I, didn't have, I covered it earlier in the series. I didn't have time to cover it this morning. But verse 29 of this passage really summarizes the whole series well. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling, now watch this. With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's it. Yes, we toil. Yes, we struggle. But we do it not on our own. Not in human strength. But with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I leave you with this. Seven words. Christ in you. The hope of glory. May they revolutionize your Christian life. May they cause you to live in a way that is radically different. Not because you've done something different, but because you have grasped and understood what it means to have Jesus living in you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for all of us. 
help us to understand those seven powerful words. Help us to understand what it means, oh Lord, to have the image of the invisible God, the author of all creation, the head of the church, the savior of the world, living inside of us every single day. Oh Lord, help us to spend the rest of our Christian lives exploring, learning, living out this glorious truth, this glorious mystery which is now revealed. Oh Lord, help us to grasp it, to live it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.